0: Riech Und Ehre, was ich dir noch angesäche. So bist du sie alle Ehre. Was ist? Wohl
1: This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas.
2: And this is Dan Baltic.
1: And we are here today with Samuel Finley, or you go by Sam, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Sam's fine. Sam Finley, who a lot of our listeners probably know as the author of Breakfast with the Dirt Cult. He's a writer from Oklahoma who served in both uh, Bosnia and Afghanistan um Brexit of the Dirt Colt came out about uh, I was actually looking in the notes in prep for today and we're coming right up on the 10 year anniversary of the book are we not yeah yeah we are uh, which is a fairly striking thing but it's really kind of popped off over the last year and a half um is that accurate
3: yeah it's uh, i it was recently listening to y'all's uh, interview with delicious tacos uh, and he'd mentioned how uh, the way it is nowadays, there's like this sort of tale that happens and he sold more books, you know, since his, uh, I guess, in the past, I guess, the month that y'all had recorded than he had it as initial. And so right. it's been kind of an interesting sort of slow burn. And I'm, I really appreciate everybody who's, who's reviewed it or talked about it or bought it. And um, it's, it's I couldn't have done it without y'all. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. It's a great book. Um, I'm not sure if you would ever describe it as a memoir. But for people who don't know, it's a it's a pretty fair, fair to say that it's fairly autobiographical account of of your time in Afghanistan and the and the, you know, the time immediately preceding and and following that period. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I'm not terribly creative, so I just I I, was surrounded by all these people. And it's like I've got this this guy had said something or did something. I've got to capture this because it's just it's just funny definitely interesting or whatever so um yeah no, it's and- uh, all their dialogue was was what they is how they spoke and that really um, so shined everything.
2: through that was like you're reading it and you're like wow this is like actually like like you're actually there <laughs> I, I i'm i'm grateful for that that's kind of what i was hoping for
1: yeah no, absolutely it's a, it's a fantastic book and i mean that is aside from being a military memoir which obviously for a lot of us always holds some intrigue uh what stands out to me about dirt. Coal. Well, a lot of things stand out about it and we'll get into those, but one of them is the, the verisimilitude, just the, you know, very much taken from life. Um, you mentioned delicious tacos. I, I find it interesting. I'm not even sure if this is the right tone to strike about it, but it's what I found myself thinking uh, on my first read through of the book. Uh, it, it, it's almost like if someone like a delicious tacos or even like a Michelle Welbeck wrote a war memoir, it would be this because it, it has the, you know, it's about something very serious, and it's about, you know, being at war. And there's that kind of some degree of that kind of action and those kinds of stakes. But nevertheless, um, as, um, you know, people like Benjamin Braddock in his review of it, and, and Michael Anton have pointed out, it's also a book about Spenglerian decline, shall we say, and and also, of course, uh, as we'll get into more, more uh, you know, the, the relations between men and women, within the context of the two thousands and the 2010s. So I I hope, I hope that, uh, isn't taken the wrong way, but, um, I I could definitely, I would definitely describe it as, is like you, you see the cover of the book and like, Oh, this is a war memoir, but it's like that, but also has some of the same appeal as like a delicious tacos to me. Um, and have you read much tacos and and other similar writers like that? A a bit. I, I came to him through, uh,
3: through his blog. And then later on, uh, yeah, I had a had a gimmick account on on Twitter, and I would I would keep up with his takes. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm honored to be in, in that in that company in, in that comparison. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean for me, it's absolutely a compliment. Um, you know, it's the, the book goes places that you wouldn't necessarily expect a war memoir to go, uh, and again, in a good way. I I think that in some ways, like the a lot of the most dramatic action from like a plot and character arc perspective happens not so much in afghanistan but in the end back in canada which i think a lot of people wouldn't expect but i think it it throws everything into relief in an interesting way and um you know make it makes the impact of, of the, some of the themes i think the book is exploring all the more strong well thank you on that uh, i
3: whenever I I started writing it um, or as I was writing it, I I wanted to write the sort of thing that I wished had been there whenever I was thinking of enlisting. Mm. And I, uh, whenever I I was thinking about it, I was in college at the time and I would, I I decided to, I was going to try to learn as much as I could about the army to try to prepare myself. And so I went to the library and I'm, I'm reading all these books. And whenever I was actually in it, 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 it was, (laughs) completely at odds with it um it you get this sort of in these memoirs or or you know accounts of war or whatever you get a really sanitized version of it mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and that's because you, you can't i mean it's like it's this is this is a book you can't tell everything um but what they choose to to put in it's really scrubbed clean of a lot of the just the, the things the way it really is um, and and so i wanted to try to to write it warts and all um, mm-hmm. and even the good things or the funny things they're just like this is if you're an infantry soldier and during the time that I was in, like this, was, this is kind of what life was like. Um, and and I've, I've, there are a lot of vets that have responded positively to it. So I think it's a kind of chase a rabbit for a second. Um, Paul Schrader uh, had was, once had a Vietnam vet come up to him, from what I heard, uh, whenever uh, I guess he wrote Taxi Driver. Um, and some, some vet had come up to him and said, you stole my story. And, and huh. Schrader said, you must think you're terribly unique. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> he, he talked to a lot of veterans, and, and a lot of them had those sort of experiences. And, and he drew from that. So I, I think there's nothing really unique about me. Um, and, and I hope that, uh, I don't know, that a lot of people can see themselves or just like, this is what that moment in time was like.
2: So I know what you mean with some of those other war stories because, like, I've read uh, Black Hawk Down, I've read Dispatches, and like, they do a very good job of portraying the actual conflict but not so much in diving into the, the minds of the men that fight it. And I, I think, and if I'm not putting words in your mouth, I think that's kind of what you set out to do and did do with the dirt cult is to, you know, explore not just the war, but the effect of the war on the man and society on the man.
3: Yeah. Well, cause that, all that stuff's happening at the same time. And like, for instance, my, my old squad leader, uh, it, it it became kind of a running thing and that you could kind of tell his attitude based upon what was going on with with his wife you know <laughs> like sergeant bronson's being especially salty and he's you know he's, he's being real angry or whatever you know like him and his old lady got in a fight or something you know or you'd, you guys would go down range and you know they might get deer jawned or something and and so it, all of this stuff is happening at the same time and it's you know and i get you know, if somebody's wanting to learn about a war, they don't want to hear about somebody's emotional stuff or, you know, if, you, you know, these these genres or whatever exist for a reason. But I, I wanted to try to tell a little bit or try to make it as real as possible. And in the real world, that stuff's just together. It's tangled up. And yeah, you know, and it's yeah. a mess.
1: Well, well, your what's interesting about your book is that it strikes a balance between in in trying, I think, to portray things as truthfully and sometimes just as simply as possible not as simply you know what I mean like just as straightforwardly you know, as it really was uh it achieves an interesting balance between a lot of things because what's I, would, I don't even know if it's a problem but like what what I found in a lot of not only war memoirs but also of course movies and tv shows is they're kind of <clears throat> usually they're either all about the action and the heroism which is okay in its own it's in its own place um, or there's something like the, the book, the things they carried, uh, which uh, as I recall, bronze age pervert had very colorful words for yeah. when you were on his, but I actually, I, I haven't read that book since high school. I remember enjoying it, but I can see why someone like that would be critical of it. It's definitely like a liberal book and it's a, it's, you know, it's an anti-war book, um, yeah. but that leans very much into the emotional side. I remember enjoying some of that, but what's interesting about your book is that it's not, I mean, I, I'm actually curious if you describe it as an anti-war novel or not. If that's a, maybe that's not a simple, you know, yes or no answer, but it, it 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 is that. But also, at other moments, and Bap pointed this out on the podcast as well. Uh, you know, it 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 portrays moments of, of valor and greatness. You know, or over there, like it's it's not one thing. It doesn't. It's not like a red state uh you know war story to make people feel good about our foreign policy at all it's the opposite of that but it's also not a simple like anti-war liberal tract either it's somewhere in between um it, would you does that resonate <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, it
3: because it's 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 not an anti-war because it's i i don't think you 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 can have an anti i i, I guess how do I, how do I rephrase it here um it's it's not anti-war because you can't have a world without war. Right. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Y'all, I was listening to y'all's conversation with uh, Geo, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he was talking about uh, y'all were talking about art and 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 how it's it kind of gets mingled up with politics. And there's kind of what constitutes, guys, right-wing art. You know, and that there's there's this some there's something I guess that transcends, and you're you're accepting it. You know, you're looking at the wreckage of empire or whatever, and you, and the guy just says yes. Whereas with with leftism it, it, it presupposes that you can attain this sort of engineered society where we can you know apply you know, scientific principles to human affairs and we can we can have the utopia, or uh, and and as I, I agree that the Jonathan Bowden said that this is kind of an adolescent wet dream, um, yeah. and and so it's like this is just a part of the human condition and and sometimes these things, you know, are, are you get cross-threaded with individuals or groups of people and and conflict arises and this is. this is kind of a microcosm of of how that plays out as i saw it Um, yeah it's like you you you, for me like there you can't really have there's there's not going to be a world without war and so it's just like this is what it looked like
1: absolutely yeah Yeah, No, that's uh i think that that gets at the heart of of what i was trying to try you know trying to get at there basically you know it's not And and you've written about this in Dirt Cult, and then you've elaborated it uh, upon it, you know, on some of your podcast appearances, some of the articles you've written for IM 1776. You know, you're not, you're critical, of course, as we all pretty much in this sphere are of a lot of America's foreign policy and a lot of just what America has become, uh, including in our wars. However, it's founded on that, you know, call it, Heraclitian, if you want, uh, or maybe even call it a little bit uh, bathist, perhaps, you know, that basic, that, that fundamental, some would call it right wing, but, you know, or, or some would call it just the domain of people who are, you know, actually red-pilled on the way things work, uh, that, you know, thing basically that things are found in war and conflict, and this is an immutable part of the human experience and, and one that's not going anywhere uh, anytime soon. Um, and I think along with that, comes the parts of the parts in your book where it's not so much that you're being pro war in those moments, but there's this, um, and this maybe gets into the title of your book a little bit, that notion that war, you know, whatever the war is, even if it's, you know, whether it's Afghanistan or, or, you know, the legions of Rome, um, that you are being initiated into some kind of fundamental cult of the human experience, you know, to, to be able to, fight and you know hopefully 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 succeed um just there's an understanding of war as one of those fundamental elements of the human experience in your book that you know and there's that that notable scene when they're in the choppers and it's like you know you, you you, you, you feel almost like a pagan god out for vengeance and you know it sure beats a day in the office like there's still even as critical of the establishment and in the times of the war as your book is there's still it's still balanced by that fundamental notion of what war is and you know does that resonate <laughs> yeah absolutely
3: and that's uh you mentioned the title and that's that's kind of what i was driving for with it and um, because it's kind of an esoteric title it sounds weird but uh I remember you know, whenever I was going through this, this phase where I was reading everything about I could about the military and combat arms, I, I came across this phrase, warrior cult. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got lodged in my brain because you, you get around these guys and, and you, you, you didn't know each other, you know, maybe uh, until a few weeks ago or maybe a year. Um, and you're going to be going to the other side of the world. And you, if you get in a situation, air support's going to be a long time coming. And, and it's, it's just y'all in, in, in Indian country. And all you have is each other and suddenly things matter in a way that they don't um and and you you come to depend upon people and you try to be someone that that people can depend upon and and like that really brings out something uh and and and
1: that's right there's magic in it it it, you might even say and i think someone like bap someone like Ernst Younger, uh, even myself, although I have absolutely nothing close to any experience like this, given, you know, from my vantage point, it would seem that, you know, maybe this is a cliche point, but obviously war can bring out terrible things in people and and war itself may be hell at times. But I do think uh, I think it's fair to say that war also brings out the best in people and in particular men. Um, or, or that it can, it brings out these, you know, these qualities that are what we most admire in, in men and in masculinity. Yeah. And, and they, y-
3: you can't have one without the other in a way, I think, um, or at least it, with within the context of, you know, war and what we're talking about, it's yeah. it, knowing that you're going to be going into something and, things are going to get ugly. Um, you know, you'll, you'll have some guy telling you that, you know, look to your left, look to your right. This person will not be here at the end of the mission type of (laughs) thing. Um, you know, you're going to be, people are going to be, you know, losing limbs or their life. And you're, you're going to be going to do this thing and it's going to be ugly and you'll be remembering it for the rest of your life. Um, that, if you're going to survive that uh, and see that other people do as well, um, or and accomplish your objectives you're going to have to rise above the fear of that or the pain of it and and you're going to have to confront that ugliness and and try to bring something good out of it, it or just simply survive and that that brings out something um and it's like this gets kind of to the heart of why we fight kind of in in the first place i mean there's 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 like a mystery that you have to participate in mm-hmm. um, so like with women with childbirth um yeah yeah
2: And that's sort of uh, itself an initiation ritual into a sort of cult that, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, many men do not are are never initiated. They're never initiated into the cult of the warrior, the cult of violence. And I mean, that is something that, you know, once you kind of, at at least this is what I, I gleaned from your writing, from other writing about war, once you've experienced that level of brotherhood. But also uh, that level of kind of direct experience with uh, the enemy it um, you know it changes you from, from what I understand. again, this is uh, not something I have experience with.
3: Yeah, but well I mean y'all, y'all have it in other ways though I mean like uh, are y'all, y'all might be fathers and, and, and if that's the case, um, you, you could you could you could tell me everything you know about about fatherhood. And I could I could quote you chapter and verse back to you, and I could get I could have I could have uh, you know memes, and I could have you know spreadsheets talking about all of the things that you explained, but I won't know it like you know it because you've experienced it, and and that's just true with the or you know I
2: guess y'all are lawyers or or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer, Uh, but neither of us are fathers. Neither of uh, us, unfortunately.
1: (laughs) But I think hopefully it's on the horizon. (laughs) But yes, yeah, I I appreciate
3: what you're saying. Yeah or even just, uh, you know, uh, of, you know, having a significant other, you know, of loving a woman, little yeah. things like that, that, that you pass through. Um, and it's, I mean, that's, that's why we, that's why we create art. I mean, yeah. cause it's like, there's, there's something here that that's, it, it's significant in ways that I, like you don't understand completely. You just know that it is. You and just so you, know that it
1: is. And then you yeah. can, you experience that and then you can encapsulate it in a book like, breakfast with the dirt Colt. and then that gives other people some kind of idea of it you know yeah. um, in, in a non-trivial way like i think that you know again i've read some other military books and and obviously seen movies tv shows whatever but that kind of more initiatory personal hero's journey element um definitely came across more in your book than any other book that i've read on the on similar topics um and i, I think in some ways I, I i kept running in my notes and i'm a big fan sort of was like of like coming of age novels as a genre obviously your novel isn't about like a boy becoming a man but maybe it's about a man becoming a true man um there is that sort of the the, the narrative arc is very much of that coming of age sort, where someone goes through something and is strengthened for it I mean does that does the, the the notion of coming of age do you think speak to the novel or is that too well, no. Or... <laughs>
3: I, well, yeah, because yeah, that was—I mean, there, there was, there was—you know—there's you know elements of that, and it's—and some of it I actually kept out of the book just because I think I would think like this is just seems kind of cliched. I, I need to—I <laughs> don't want to play this up, um, but it, it, like, that was—it just kind of worked out that way, because um, that was that I, you know, I was a guy in my early 20s at the time, yeah, um, and and you know, we were seeing the end of whenever I enlisted, Clinton was still president, yeah, and um, yeah. And so there was this transition over to you know the, the Bush era and the you know the end of the 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 end of history and the mm-hmm. beginning of you know the global war on terror, which is just about as lame a name as you could think. <laughs> um, but but it, so there were all these weird changes that were happening um, in the world, and I had a I got to have this front seat to it. I, we were on the world, me and my buddies. We we'd go down to New York City because one of them was from Staten Island. We were on the oh, World nice. Trade Center just a couple of min- months before. 9 11. Yeah. So there was just kind of a, I guess, a happy accident or at least an accident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, there's this sort of comedy of errors, maybe is a better way to put it. It, That was just, that was my life. And that's kind of what I saw um, within and without.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. And it's one of of the things that I, that I highlighted in the book is uh, that it really is a period piece in a lot of ways. And it captures that. 2000s moment uh you know the book is basically set what from like 2004 to 2007 or so or I guess but with references to some earlier stuff as well it captures that decade um really really well I think I might have frozen up can you guys hear me I hear you okay yeah frozen up. yeah anyway it captures that decade really well and this is a, a kind of weird comparison but you know we just did this episode on, on entourage <laughs> which yeah you, which you, you may you have highlighted it as liking i wouldn't i wouldn't bring this up if you hadn't highlighted it <laughs> yeah um but you know i i was thinking about that and i um you know i like that episode dan and i did and we kind of were talking about the show and for people who haven't heard it we talked about the about the show entourage which is on for like 2004 to 2011 i think and and the way it kind of encapsulated that yeah sort of that end of history moment the there was like a relative normalcy but things are sort of starting to slide and then there's of course the economic crisis and everything and it kind of the show sort of moves from this moment of relative innocence to a sort of cold hangover of waking up into like a much less forgiving world economically and socially and and in a really strange way I feel like breakfast with the dirt cult um, taking a very different topic not you know layabouts doing nothing in Hollywood but rather war nevertheless it kind of charts that time period in a similar way where there's an there's an innocence at the beginning and then at the end there's a, a sort of total disillusionment um so i i don't know if that's too flippant uh of uh of, of a comparison but i did what just want to highlight that um that i do think another one of many reasons to read practice of the dirt cult is that i think it's a really good encapsulation of the 2000s as a decade yeah well i i appreciate that because i i the the,
3: i I started writing the book well i enlisted back in 2000 and i got out in 2005 so you're Mm -hmm. you're seeing you know up until then uh, after i got out uh, i was i i wound up leaving to go travel around the world and all that kind of stuff but i spent a month at home and one of the things that that i did was uh, i watched entourage one of my brothers (laughs) he got into it and i remember watching it and and it was it, there was that feel uh, that vibe that was very much kind of of that time that cause it was, you're coming off of sex in the city. Right. And it's, you know, these are, you know, these are guys during that time. And this is, you know, this is kind of how it was, you know, this is like hookup culture kind of like you're seeing this representation of it and you, the, the, the great recession hadn't happened yet. Right. Exactly. It was, it was just that, that was that moment. So, so yeah, it's, it, that's it when was that this happens. Moment.
2: That, For men before the dating apps and before the recession, where uh, like on on our pod, uh, like a certain type of man, you know, maybe it wasn't the most moral life. Maybe it was certainly wasn't the most moral life, (laughs) but uh, they enjoyed a, um, you know, a a sort of uh, high water mark, I -hmm. would say.
3: Yeah. And it was, it was, it was taken as sort of normal. And um, which exactly. after, after I had listened to y'all's episode, I went and watched, I, I watched the movie on Amazon. I watched it. I haven't seen it either. It, it's funny. Cause it, it's, it's, it's of that time, but we're no yeah. longer there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were little elements like that, that, that for instance, one of the, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but uh, one of the subplots is there's an investor from Texas who, who winds up being a thorn in the side of the fellas. And and I kind of wonder how much of this is a hangover from the Bush era. And um, because, you know, he's, he, this guy's a Texan and, and he's, he's, you know, he's carrying you know a gun and he's right. You first see him riding a horse and, and it's just a little bit of a nuisance and they kind of look down on him uh, because the guy's kind of, you know, it winds up being a blustering idiot. Uh, but it's like, there was just that kind of like, this yeah. feels like
1: Bush era type stuff. Definitely. Um, yeah. No, it's interesting because, <clears throat> well, one thing, and this is definitely something I wanted to highlight, um, that our listeners who haven't read your book will appreciate is like, there really is some very, and I, I know it's, this is an overused term, but there's some very red pill stuff about women in it and about dating. and about the sexual marketplace and the state of modern women and all of that is very, you know, well, well-received. This is both, you know, kind of some, some sort of more philosophic asides uh, at the beginning of the novel. And then what ultimately happens, uh, you know, the protagonist, Tom Walton, and his ill fate in love sort of reflects some sort of uh, truths that would be talked about by someone like Artiste, uh or Rouche or our good friend on um, this pod, Matt Forney. Um, and I, I do want to actually ask you more about all that in a second. But I just wanted to also add, um, when you're reading those sections about, you know, there's, there's a really notable section in Dirt Cult where they're at, the, where they're at a bar. I think in uh, like Watertown, like, like near Fort Drum, yep. right? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's there's Watertown. The, yeah, exactly. Um, we, we can talk about Watertown too, maybe in a bit. I think we <laughs> and I both have some experience there, but uh, yeah, basically just kind of reflecting on the state of modern women and and the relative degeneracy of, of it all. And it's not that I'm nostalgic for that period per se, but kind of as we talked about with Entourage, it's like. Even that seems better than what it is now. like even you know that that was all bad with with the bar hookups and all that. but at least at least there was a playing field. So it's like, in a weird way, you can almost get nostalgic for something that like wasn't even good in its time, but like things are even more atomized now. Uh, is that fair to say? yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely something that, that feels dystopian uh, about about the way things are
3: nowadays yeah um, that that wasn't there then and, and i don't know how much of that is just you know inner internet and cell phone type of stuff suddenly becoming popular um but there was still uh, yeah it, it was just it was different
1: exactly and like and by the way i'm not saying like uh, let's make it the 2000s again i think <laughs> i think at least in in some critical ways we're here now because we were there then like yeah, yeah. it's common enough dissident right talking about but nevertheless you know there is still that nostalgia like i mean just not to spoil too much, but one of the central and perhaps, you know, all of the stuff with Afghanistan aside, maybe the central conflict and story arc of the novel has to do with, you know, the protagonist Tom Walton's uh, relationship with a stripper that he meets yeah. in Canada named Amy. And, she, you know, uh, she, it does, it is it, 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 in some ways it's almost like a romance, not, not that it's a romance novel, but like that, you know, it is a very, um, passionate affair uh but let's just say that it doesn't necessarily end well um and you know that's and and there's x y and z reasons for it and and like obviously yeah maybe maybe a strip club isn't isn't ultimately the the best place for me to watch yeah yeah but but even even within that it's like not even like that the fact that that could even happen that that could have even been a possibility almost seems like a product of a bygone era i mean that kind of just like serendipity and people connecting in that way no that's true um, ill-fated or otherwise just feels like it doesn't doesn't so much happen anymore but uh and maybe maybe we're beating a dead horse with this 2000s thing but you you know what i mean like the book i mean all i am needing to highlight is that the book somehow both it is a sort of Spenglarian tragedy about the decline of a society. But even within that, you know, there was, maybe the, the, there was a glimmer of something even then that I don't think we quite have anymore in the same way.
3: <laughs> well, it's, that's, uh, that's tall praise to, to get, again, to get lumped in with, with, you know, these, the, the Spenglarian tones and whatnot. But, I think uh, I stole
1: that from Benjamin Braddock's this novel, but I think it is, it is. Yeah. yeah.
3: On, well I, I, I appreciate that. Cause it's, I, I think it's just, um, I heard someone once say, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to butcher this thing, so I'm not going to bother trying to quote it, but that you, you shouldn't try to make conservative art or right-wing mm-hmm. art. You should just tell the truth right? Or, exactly. yeah. or, or, or just convey what you see about the human experience, um, and that, and I, I think that's true. And I also think – I'm going to criticize myself. I, I know for a fact that I, I took liberties with, with the reader because um, there's, there's times where I, I shoehorn – like you mentioned the bar scene. That's one of those scenes where it's like, we're writing it. I know I'm stepping out of the story too much. It's like, I, I wind up ranting for like three or four pages <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's a it, way I saw it. Like, this is, this is my, this is probably the only time I'm going to say anything to people.
1: Right. Oh, no, you know, I like, I'm just going to like throw great. it
3: all out. <laughs> like, I'm just going to I'm just going to rant at you, the reader, for about yeah. five pages. So, so stick with me. I think um, it's fantastic
1: because we see how people who make it their bread and butter to to just not write novels, but rather tackle those issues head on. We see that they end up kind of more in the crosshair. like someone like Roosh. I'm not defending everything he's ever said or done, but like he did sort of end up in the crosshairs because he was the pickup artist anti-woman guy you know whereas someone like delicious tacos even who's controversial uh, but not as much as roosh or even you it's like you write something that's honest and that's really enjoyable to read and that you know anyone with empathy i think even liberals with empathy you know reading this would be like oh this stuff hits um you know you can kind of couch the criticisms in the story i think it makes it more effective and you know maybe it's not to everyone's taste but i really like sort of philosophic novels and stories and so you know a little bit of a digression and, and all of it is entirely relevant to the stuff that goes on plot wise I mean it was one of the elements of the book that I liked the most and one that made it stand out well thank you well, I,
3: and you you read books and it's so much of the narrative is, is dominated by the left and, and so you, you read these books and, and these authors would go on and you know they're giving you a, a, a message that's supposed to translate into some sort of political uh, mindset or, or sensitivity they're trying to work you and, yeah. and, and I'm thinking like, you know what? I'm going to give y'all a dose of your own medicine. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this is where I'm going to cut a promo on you. And like, you're going to have to deal with what I think. Um, So it's maybe a, I went a little too far, I think, but I, oh, no, I feel I, like I, I need to so. get it out. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I think this is so like my narrative. only time to talk to Joe kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. the 18 year old who's thinking to enlist. So I want to try to like, mm-hmm. you know, for my kind of guys, the grunts, I, I want to at least, you, they might not have ever read Toynbee. Uh, but they can at least get my take on
2: how he applies now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think from okay. a narrative point of view, it really does work because it helps you know further. Even if it's digression, it helps further get into the mind of uh, Walton, and like that is that's always important. So like I, I think in writing, you you never really make a misstep as long as you're still in the mind of the character, because Why? like that's that's the point. You're just following the character around. And like the plot is, you know, the plot is where the character goes. Well, thank you. That was because um, that's stuff that that kind of
3: obsesses. I say kind of. It, it obsesses me, and it has been since Lord, since I was a kid. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Um, have y'all ever read uh, from Dawn to Decadence by Jacques Barzun? No, no i've heard
1: the title but tell me about it there's it
3: a there's a great interview you can find where uh, he sits down with charlie rose around the time that the book was released and he wound up getting a pulitzer which is telling because this is you know, early mid-90s whenever he wrote this book and i, I don't think he, he could be, he would have gotten it nowadays no he's yeah. this grand old man of letters and he sits down with charlie rose and he and and charlie right out the gate he says decadence you know, it's like, like a stripper name. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, decadence. <laughs> you know, says decadence, and 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 Jacques Barzoon's just this grand old man of letters, and he's he's an old man now. He's got a, like plaid suit or blazer, and he's just like it's a frightening word, isn't it? And and Charlie says yeah, absolutely, and he says, but it doesn't have to be. A uh, decadence just means falling away, and afterwards you get renaissance. Um, hmm. But the, I mentioned that because whenever I was, I was in, I was in college, you know, I didn't have much money, but I would, I would peruse the books. And I, I found that book and I just, out of curiosity, started reading it. And every time I would, I couldn't buy it because it was just really expensive for me at the time. But every time I went into the bookstore, I would read a little bit of it because um, I, this was around the mid nineties. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Monica Lewinsky scandal thing was going on at the time. And so like, this, <laughs> you know, and I'm from Oklahoma and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, dealing with issues of faith and stuff. And yeah. the way I was raised, it seems like it's completely being at war. It's at, you know, the whole you know, society in which I live is kind of at war with the way I was raised and was normal up until you know, relatively recent until then. Um, and, I, and I don't understand why things are the way they are. And and, he was, and he's, he's drawing off of you know, the, the Spinglers and the Toynbees and the Ib-Kaldoons and all these people. But he was the first I'd read who had mentioned them. And and mm-hmm. so I this thing is it's rolling around in my head and I'm I, you'd often go to the bar and you you're you're looking to you know be like entourage and raise hell and drink and you know and and you know get with girls or whatever but there's also a part of you that thinks like I'm watching something fall apart yes and, absolutely and and there's and I don't like
2: it and and I'm a part of it
3: and, and I don't even like more that so me. now
2: like even like obviously back in the you know uh early two thousands when the period you're writing about yeah, that level of sexual licentiousness that represents a sort of falling apart. But I would argue that today you go to bars and you see everyone on their phone and in a Bappian way, that's even worse. Yep. That's even you don't even have people fucking anymore. You have <laughs> yeah. people looking at their phones. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. No, um I mean I think that's why the the Watertown bar scene is one of the you know, there's many memorable scenes in the novel and that's that's one of them to me. Um
2: yesterday- was that set in I'm sorry, Matt, was that set in Watertown the bar? Because you were in Fort Drum. I didn't realize that the bar was in Watertown.
3: Yeah yeah that oh, well, was one, okay. of, the, that yeah, one I, of the
2: dive bars that we would nice. all the I, off
3: post, all, all the, the all the soldiers go
2: uh, on my father's side I have family from Watertown just a whole generations of people who came from Watertown I, so. I feel bad for them yes because they've got these
3: you've got a military installation
2: right on your doorstep and it completely warps everything around it. And, oh well, like Fort Drum now, that's a godsend for them because unfortunately, the way the uh, the economy shook out with yeah. globalization, their you know their industry and everything is just yeah. hollowed out, terrible. The, the, the uh, Rust Belt, Fort Drum,
1: Yeah, I, I'm from Fort uh, Drum being nearby is yeah. you know that's great because that brings business. Yeah, I'm from Syracuse that originally, is. so I'm also very familiar with the. I used to go up. Uh, through Watertown on the way to Canada all the time Which so that you really neither here nor there With regard to your novel other than that I, I did recognize that setting um, And, and, and it, it, it's not and It's not really what, what Breakfast with the Dirt Colts is about But we actually talked Dan and I talked about it On a previous episode um, with Writer Caleb Cadell who who Wrote a, a sort of Rust Belt set novel mm-hmm. um, the, the Rust Belt Really really does start um, In that corridor Of upstate New York in my opinion that's not that's kind of neither here nor there with with regard to the novel but uh but it is interesting um and there's a lot i liked about it i i because i would we'd get off post um and, and
3: some of the boys would they they would live you know maybe a half hour off post and they just yeah. kind of get away from everything and they'd throw a party and, and you go out there and this is like this could be like oklahoma it, like, like oh, yeah. it, but oh, it's yeah. just like you, you get close to the military installation though and suddenly it's this is like, this is where the people fight for Globo Homo. <laughs> you know? It's, 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 it, it, it's different. Um, and, and, it's, and, and it, I, you know, it, it helps, you know, the local economy and that's, and I, but it's like, man, I feel bad for anybody who's got to like raise a family. <laughs> Cause you go to the mall or whatever, and you've got a bunch of drunken infantry soldiers who are just acting up and, <laughs> and being a fool or you, you're getting yeah. hit, on, your daughter's getting hit on
1: by,
2: you know, some guy oh, who, yeah. you're like, like, like God, these people,
1: <laughs> that's so funny but and one um,
2: thing about that area it's like obviously as you note in the book it's like in the winter buried in snow so that gives way um you know i know in watertown historically to a, an extreme amount of drinking and i assume being a military man in an area that's buried in snow all winter there <laughs> must have truly been some epic uh acts of imbibement oh good say. lord <laughs>
3: it, it got well, captured in tons. the novel yeah it got grim. I, I was I was initially supposed to go initially supposed to go. I was initially tasked. To, I got my orders to go to the 82nd Airborne at an airborne school. And I was really excited about that. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to wear the I'm gonna wear the maroon beret. And I'm going to have that cool thing they put on their shoulder. And I'm going to have jump boots in my class A's. I'm going to be badass jumping out of planes and, and sure as you're born. I'm in line and they they call my name and my, my orders that got changed. 10th Mountain. And I thought, oh mm. hell! And, and, like, <laughs> and was, this is this is the winter time, and you get off the plane, and everything is just—it's gray. And it's <laughs> noon and it's like darker than ten foot up a coal miner's ass, and it's it's like hoth without the charm. And you're just Absolutely. thinking, oh my god, what did I get into? It, but you eventually you, know, you 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 bond with people, and and, and you have fun. I mean, we had guys yeah. who would they would we had a guy who one time he, he jumped out of a two-story window into a snowdrift. <laughs> they, they would get drunk and they took apart a, an iron, an ironing board and then went to this hill and slid and used it like a sled oh, totally. everybody drunker than who shit the shower on this beat up uh, uh, stripped down ironing board on an iced up hill and it just it was got, got out of control but in a way that was you, you make your fun where you can Definitely. also i
2: don't know if you found this to be the case but when like you're buried in snow and you're in a bar like i find that the the women are uh, maybe a little bit hornier a little <laughs> yeah. bit more, I, I wouldn't like, doubt it yeah uh you know there's that kind of trapped element and it's like you know i don't know why exactly
3: yeah but, cabin fever is real That's yeah. no joke oh yeah no
1: doubt um yeah, I live in Los Angeles now so better weather but but less oh, yeah. less of that <laughs> uh, but anyhow but back on the bar topic that's uh you know it, it is a really memorable scene because it, not only is it the philosophic reflection about the state of women whatever but it's it's that that feeling of um uh, of uh, of witnessing something falling apart and feeling that you yourself are part of it in some small way that's one of I mean there's that scene in the bar, but in some ways, not to overextend that, but in some ways that's the entire novel and with the war even. Is that a fair analogy? Yeah, um, yeah, it is. I think that's, on my reading of it, that's kind of what feels like, there's a lot of moving pieces here. Again, it's not a simple, it's not an anti-war novel. It's not, you know, pacifistic or liberal in that way. But it is this sense of of being, you know, on this sort of sinking ship and having very, very meaningful and rich experiences on that sinking ship, but also kind of being aware the entire time that the ship is in fact sinking. And it creates this extremely poignant uh, mood um, yeah, <laughs> I, I again,
3: I, I, I appreciate the I, I, y'all are gonna have to start trolling me or, or, or criticizing this stuff at some point. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very humble and I, I, really appreciate the words. Yeah. Um, I there's uh, earlier we were talking about the whole rite of passage kind of part of the book and there were things I cut out and one of them was that you know, you know I, I'm coming I, as I said I, I'm coming out of the Bible Belt um, and I you know my brothers would joke that you know we were born on a Wednesday and in church on Sunday. Um and and like mm-hmm. there was this is, you know, this 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 is a you know big part of you know what I think about things in, in life. Um and I was you know kind of like again, this is the stuff I, I left out of the book because it's sort of cliched and I don't think people would believe it nowadays. And it's kind of embarrassing, I guess, but like that was I was abstinent. And so like no, yeah. I'm in an infantry environment and I'm trying to like not let on that I'm, you know, I've I've never been with a woman because you know then you're gonna catch hell and like, you're gonna wind up in some like sleazy, you know, off post, you know, you know, bordello or whatever. And like <laughs> yeah. like you just so you gotta like kind of pass it off. But like I, I didn't want to, you know, let on. But um, you know, I just I you know, getting into my in my mid-20s and you know, I you know already got one deployment and I'm about to go to another. And there's a good chance I, I'm going to be one of the people getting killed because I'm a team leader. And it's like, well, you know, I think this place is a brothel, and so I'll, you know, go through that. But yeah. also, you'd I, whenever I first got there, um, a, a buddy of mine, we wound up being friends later. He said, you just sat there, you, with this look on your face, like, leave me alone and don't talk to me, and because I felt like I was in jail. I, I enlisted thinking <laughs> it was going to be this noble experience, and it's going to be these lantern-jawed warriors who are going to teach me how to be a man. And and it it wasn't mm-hmm. like that. It, this was like a fraternity meets Boy Scouts meets I don't know what. It was just this weird sort of again to use the word dystopian. But there's 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 an aspect of managerialism that walks hand in hand with the military, which brings up a book uh, once an eagle, which we might come back or uh, uh, from from here to eternity there's like those there's there there were some post-war novels that touch on this stuff of just like how the military is this mechanism for managerialism that doesn't really get talked about but um but you're you're in this environment and i'm thinking like god what did i what did i do (laughs) i've got four (laughs) years of this and i would i would make compromises with myself i remember i would I, i eventually started cussing and then like I eventually I you know I, I would try to like draw the line at blaspheming, but then eventually I, I do that. So by the time you're you you meet you know my my character, I guess, of the book, I've already made a lot of compromises. Right. You're about to witness me make another. More. yeah. And so <laughs> yeah, that's so whenever you know I eventually, you know, I would start drinking, which I never really drank. But you know, when you're an infantry soldier and you want to fit in, you drink because I, again, it's a grim environment, and, and it's even more when you're alone. And and, and there are and, and not it's not like everybody's just the, the bad guy in an after school special. You know, they're like you. They're they're far from home and they're going through things. And and drinking is one of the things that you can do together. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially in a place like Fort Drum where it's you're snowed in.
2: Yeah, um, nothing and, else to do. Yeah, might as well get drunk.
3: Yeah, and and whenever in in some ways it's even worse when they try to like help you you know, the military, you know, like we're all going to have a, you know, this competition or we're going to do this thing. And it's like, this is, this is this weird sort of almost Soviet kind of, you know, fellow comrades. We're all going to, you know, have fun now. Um, kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. And you
2: are just, every, strength through joy.
3: Yeah. Well, like, uh, you know, BAP, one of the things I like about BAP's writing is, is, is this concept of own space, Right. No. And, and sure. you you know that every aspect of your life is owned. Like you're literally wearing a uniform that, that's got Not their yours. name on it. Yeah. You are branded and um, you, you, you you've got dog tags like an animal. And um, whenever you you go into the shit, you know, you're going to like write your blood type, you know, on, on a piece of duct tape or whatever. And you're there's a degree to which your entire life is occupied and it belongs to someone else. And then they can make arbitrary decisions at any point of, you know, Hey, got to go do common areas or Hey, it's, it's 2.00 AM. You need to go sweep the snow out of, you know, the parking lot or whatever. And and like, that's your life. And, and so you, you try to make your fun and, and, but there's, and just, you know, that age, you know, you're, you're pushing envelopes and things. And and that era too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, you, know, world war ii's in vietnam or you know in the rearview mirror and you know also we you know, we've got this new thing and we don't really know what it's like and you know maybe we're gonna go die so let's live it up but yeah there's all this thing that's kind of happening and you're you're thinking like i'm I'm trying to have fun and make the best of the situation but this is there's there's I, I, i'm i making myself ugly um yeah a part of me likes it um yeah no definitely
1: um They go on if you had more to say. Oh oh,
3: no, I just I've taken a long way around the barn there, so I I appreciate you hanging in with. No, no, no,
1: absolutely. I mean, one of the one of what I read is the one of the major themes of Dirt Cult kind of reflected um, at the in the in the final pages, uh, where and I find this moving, and we've already talked about similar ideas on the pod so far, but. You know, Walton reflects in that kind of final scene with the shower, how, uh, you know, he, he wanted to join the military because he thought it was a an enclave and perhaps the last bastion even for masculinity, uh, you know, within within society, which which resonated with me. I've never obviously well, not obviously, but I've never been in the military. Um, I, I may have toyed with the idea at some point in in high school never that seriously, but whenever I thought about the, the, the you know, if, if I had have done that, the reason would have been some kind of notion that I may not even have had words for at the time, but the, you know, the idea of becoming a man by being initiated in, into that. Um, and I guess the question, again, it's another question where maybe there's not a straightforward answer, um, but like, do, do you think the military can still be that enclave for masculinity uh, or, or is that a thing of the past or maybe it was never really like that, uh, or or somewhere in between. Um, you know? Do you? Yeah. Is that dead? Or I don't know. I I think I think there's a degree to
3: which it's perennial. Um. The, yeah. The, anytime you have a military, you're going to have guys who are who are going to who are going to be attracted to it, mm-hmm. or, or may serve it. Um. And that's I think that's always going to be. Um. In terms of kind of where we're at now, though. I, I think you know, going back to, to my man Barzun, uh, I think we're witnessing the death of the nation state. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think uh, totally. you, you the U.S. is an, is an agent of that. It's sort of like a country in name only. It's 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 you know global managerialism. That's that's what America is right. for. And, right. and when you're in the military, there's a there's a guy named. Uh, was it his handle was his handles like Iraq 88 or whatever. He had a YouTube channel with an older gentleman and they do gun reviews or whatever. Um, and he was an Iraq vet. He did a great tweet thread about um, why people aren't, rec- why men aren't recruiting. And, um, and, and there's just this sense like you're, you're serving the administrative state. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not really fighting for, you know, for, for God and country, you know, or, or, or whatever you're, you're, you're fighting for something that's ultimately opposed to you. And, and yeah. so you go if you're going to go into it, you're you're going to probably almost by default have a kind of mercenary attitude that I'm going to get something from this that I want. Um, it's not because I love it. And, and I you, going back to kind of Matt, you know, the rite of passage for men and masculinity and all that. I, I think we're starting to explore it in other ways. Uh, you, know, you see, uh, you know, tacos did. Uh, you know, I guess he did boxing. Now he's doing BJJ. And mm-hmm. um, you have a lot of guys who are getting into bodybuilding or you know MMA as well. Um, and there, there, my buddy James Lafond. He, uh, he's he never served in the military, but the guy he's the he's uh, out of Baltimore and he's a writer, but he he's also a retired um, supermarket uh, worker. And and so he would uh, he he had like two or three jobs, and you know by day he'd be working in a grocery store, and at night he'd be boxing. Or he'd be doing blunt machete, blunted machete duels or just fighting and doing crazy things. And I think what we're seeing is is guys orienting, seeking seeking
1: kind of the mystery of violence uh, or of of, of struggle in other ways. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what what, part of what this corner of the Internet is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, it's there's kind of going back to kind of like the whole perennial or traditional whatever. whatever, you know, or, you know, the whole red pill thing um you know like with hierarchies like like they're always going to be there and and people people are going to find them and and, and work this stuff out um but one of them is is that you know the whole manner boon thing yeah and men are always going to be at the forefront of any sort of order like we cuz we have to and you, there there's really no option for us we have to get out there and make do um we've to. was it the that npc did a the threat on uh you know like beating the earth for its energy like we have to do that we we have to struggle we have to like make things happen um and and that's just a thing men do and and
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know we're, right now we're witnessing like uh, I, I guess the beginning of of something that'll eventually become founding fathers of something yeah um, i mean uh, that's
2: that's not i hope so yeah <laughs> yeah
1: well, well i mean i uh, i'm glad to use the word perennial because i think that's that describes it pretty well. Again, I, I read Dirt Colt, you know, as a Spanglerian tragedy about this decline uh, of, of the nation state, decline of American culture, decline of the American military towards something more just sheerly bureaucratic and managerial. And yet it's not like a, a black pill novel because there is that, you know, you know there, there is something that persists through all of it. Uh, even through you know a, a war that we, where maybe we shouldn't have been in the entanglement, you know, it still is the mystery cult of war, and there is still those 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 great moments in the novel. Um, there is, and I think this is kind of what's summed up in the final few pages. Like there is still um, that that initiation still takes place. The mystery of violence, the mystery of of, of romance and and sex and marriage. Even uh, marriage isn't in the novel, but you know, there it is yeah. about men and women um th- there is uh without being at all heavy-handed about it there is it- it's like that light that torch does carry on even through the decline and that is the torch of not even like traditionalism because it's not about like strictures or ways of life but perennialism the perennial concerns uh, of mankind and, and of men and of these things that we strive for even in the pause um can still be found and i you know you we were being earlier in the pod then i you know being really down on the way things are maybe it's even worse than it was in the 2000s but i still think absolutely there are still you know human nature doesn't change and uh, and you know there's dark elements of human nature but there's also uh, incredibly light and beautiful and and masculine elements um, that that i do think can still be accessed but i think we're living in a time in a very atomized time of course when uh, we have to we have to get really Creative, uh, to sort of find those things, and honestly, just also to be to be frank about it, maybe they're they're not what they once were. Like, like yes, studying Brazilian jiu-jitsu is great, but like obviously, it would have been better to be in a more, you know, like a, a true military unit fighting for a more authentic glory. Like that's better, but like we can still find these things even if it's just like us alone in our houses and recording podcasts and doing <laughs> martial arts. Like, I, I, like I, I think we have to be real. Like, it's not. It is like there are bad things about a declining society, but like also there is that hope in, um, you know, in, in what we can still do and the, the bonds we can still form and the brotherhoods and, you know, reading Bronze Age mindset or whatever the case might be. Yeah, well, we, we don't have a it, it's 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 that or, or what right. uh, like
3: there's um, like in, I, I didn't know this until like, I guess 10 years ago, but I guess but uh, then Catholicism despair is a sin. Um, and I, I thought that was kind of an interesting take. Uh, yeah. And I remember growing up in church, uh, this one guy they had this, this, uh, this, this, you know, guest preacher or whatever, come to the youth group. And, you know, you're a kid and you're, you know, you're hopped up on the Bible and you're wanting to like, you know, you're on fire for the Lord, want to change the world or whatever. It, like kids are. And, and, yeah. and I remember this guy comes in and he, he cuts a promo on us. And he says, God doesn't need you he doesn't need this church he doesn't need the youth group and he to kind of you know humble us Mm because and you realize that like ultimately like there's 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 things at work that are bigger than we are um and and you know maybe we don't get to see the promised land and maybe you know we got the the stink of egypt on us and it's just going to be like that for the rest of our lives but you know we get to like we get to play around in this wild in between um we we we, we get to, we're, 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 we're a part of the shipwreck and, and we yeah. get to there, there's moves we can make. Um, and, and there's, there's possibilities. And if we get so wrapped up in what's wrong and despair, it'll blind us to possibilities because there's all kinds of stuff we can do. I mean, like right now we're talking, we might not have ever met otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and there yeah, are all no, these we, people,
2: I'm sure we wouldn't have.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and think of all the people in our circles. These are crazy smart people. Um, 20 years ago they'd have been shouting into the outer darkness or they would have been Absolutely. completely alienated but we've got these like esoteric archaeology things that we're learning about or someone yeah. will do a post uh, there'll be some some artwork that I'd never seen before that someone posts um and and so there's there's or a book like mine would have not have gotten published yeah had it not been for Absolutely. self-publishing. you know a yeah. uh, guy's like uh, I owe a debt to you know you mentioned Roosh, also Matt Forney and all the guys for started- big friend of the pie. Yeah. He also gave me one of my first reviews. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So I, he's all of those guys. I, I owe a tremendous debt to them. And so, I, I guess you know, to anybody you know listening who feels like tapping out, don't. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I mean, we need every swinging dick, uh, you know, to the left and right of us who can who can do anything worthwhile. because um, like the the manifest destiny, the, the sky's the limit. Um, it's just it's really bad now, but the glory is the struggle.
2: So. To, to go back to your metaphor there it's not that uh god needs you it's more that you need god yeah and so like we you know like none to apply it to us like any you know contribution that we individually make you know frankly even as good as it may be as good as anything that any of us does it's not necessarily needed but what is needed is this space like mm-hmm. we need each other we need to be part of this thing yeah that's and my gloss on it and
3: if you notice it's, it's guys
2: yeah like, like this,
3: <laughs> it's you know whether it i mean this, this it's this is sort of like like the you know the story of the garden like this is it's not something that's like just once true like it this is perennial
2: men are yeah. always
3: kind of like we're, we're tasked with with being finding of things. the next
2: new thing finding yeah. the new because women will always you know want to cling to the status quo because the status quo is safe and evolutionarily yeah. that makes sense because they need to protect their babies yeah but it falls upon men to um to you know voyage to conquer to seek out the to correct course on civilization in fact if that's what's needed yeah and yeah. uh i don't think we'll go down that rabbit hole too far here <laughs> no but that—that uh, that is what we're maybe some course is uh yeah in, in, well, yeah Yeah, you
1: know, we're not thinking of turner diaries scenarios here i think what we're already doing by not to pat ourselves on the back or rest on any laurels but by creating just simply by creating uh you know cultural space that we're we're already engaging in that in some way it doesn't you know it's not all bedpost stuff um but yeah no uh riding with despair is prohibited as our friend (laughs) yes it's a
2: great meme he makes uh, posters and uh t-shirts and it's this uh this t-shirt of this uh, stick figure on the subway holding his ha- head in his hands <laughs> with a like a big like you know stop sign like x going through it and it says riding with despair is prohibited yeah no
1: it's yeah it's a good uh i think it's a good message sort of for for these for these times and i you know i'm glad you referenced forney as well I, uh forney is uh responsible for publishing both dan's and my debut novels dan's is coming out soon. that's right uh mine came out about uh, couple a couple
2: of weeks uh, yeah a
1: year and a half ago uh, so you know, for, for, Forney is great uh, and has helped. I guess all three of us, you know, get get our work out there. But I, I did want to ask, like, sort of, uh, how did how did you come across this? Scene? And you're you're kind of a, a, an old an OG, as the, you know, like you, you've been. <laughs> you you seemingly from what I've heard. You you've been reading sort of the, the manosphere stuff for like since like 2010 2011, which I mean, it's a lot earlier than I came into it, certainly. But how did you sort of? discover this stuff. How did not, I'm not asking like how you got red pilled per se, but like, uh, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, as we talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff in, in even in dirt cult, uh, you, you said was, was influenced by, by people like Forney, Rouge, Hartiste, And so I'm just kind of curious what your process, because I don't, I don't imagine you were reading that stuff at Fort Drum, but eventually you kind of found it, right? No, yeah, actually Forney's, uh, blog and Malafide, that yeah. actually played a role.
3: Uh, I, oh wow! I was uh, I was in grad school at the time, and I'm you know going out of my mind because I'm, you know I, I've come off of a war, and I, I know what downrange looks like, and I'm getting all these eggheads throwing all this theory at me, and, and I know it's bullshit. Um, you know you can you, these people who are talking about IR theory or whatever. And I would love to see them go down range and talk to some like 20 year old corporal who would just, you know, who's been in country for a couple of months and he's going to look at them like they fell out of a dog's ass. <laughs> it's like, cause this stuff just, it's really great on a dry erase board, but the real world's messy and it doesn't work like that. Anybody with a lick of sense can see this. Um, it, but anyways, there, so there, I'm, I'm stuck in this, like what I, what I find out is basically like, like you know, graduate school and like liberal arts is pretty much a seminary for, for global homo
1: yeah, and like, yeah pretty much and, and
3: i I'm, I'm getting this stuff uh, straight out the tap and it's just I, don't know, I i could i could rant on them all day long because there's just so much stuff where it's just like i got to get up and walk away and like go walk around class I, and and but anyways uh my my tire pressure monitoring system Went off on my truck. I didn't even know I had a, a, a tire pressure monitoring system, but there's this thing on the dashboard kicks up, lets me know that my tire's out of pressure or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my tire's fine. Um, but I'm thinking like, what the hell is this this safety gimmick doing on my truck? I don't want this. Can I, what do I got to do to remove it? And it's like, <laughs> well, it's legal to remove it. Like, well, who the hell's idea was this? And so, you know, I get on the internet and it, it, you, you know how it is. You sort of get into a fugue state chasing down some, something whatever question you got and i wound up coming across the phrase transnational progressivism which wound up leading me to an article that was linked in in malafide and because Forney had aggregated all this different stuff from all of these different articles and disciplines and it wasn't just one strict thing um he's just kind of chasing his curiosity as well and and bringing back stuff that he's seen that he thinks is interesting yeah and um, because of that now suddenly i'm like I, I'm like in the, in the Petri dish. I'm, I'm seeing all this different stuff happen at once. That's how it and happens, thinking, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you're thinking like, and again, it's guys, you know, who are like in the outer darkness, trying to figure out what's wrong and what do I need to do about it? And and there's all this discovery that, that that's going on or things that were lost that are being uncovered. And you're like, there's something here. Absolutely. Um, and so I owe a debt to, to the forneys and the ruches and the Hartists, And I, I wouldn't dirt cult will not be, you know th- th- what it is uh, you know, to the extent it's anything you know worth reading uh, th- a lot of it is i'm standing on their shoulders and um, so
1: fascinating yeah no that's why as as dated and in some ways alienating of, of a phrase as it is like the red pill thing uh, it's always i I've, no, I've never fully departed from that meme because when you get into this stuff it is as you said it's like a petri dish like you do plunge in and it is often like one kind of one moment and then you d- dive in further, but like you're never the same, which is why I think that metaphor uh, kind of works. Um, but no, obviously this podcast is dedicated to, to, to literature, quote unquote, red pill literature and, and, um, and platforming yet. And, and, you know, we've, re- we've talked a lot about, you know, Forney and Hartiste and sort of authors who've been influenced by them. What's interesting with you is that, you know, I, I think there's a kind of an explosion right now of a lot of people, a lot of guys writing these kind, this kind of literature, which is great. But you did do it, uh, you know. You're an, an, you know, this whole thing is kind of a pioneer enterprise, but you're, you're an early adopter, even of that, which is very <laughs> cool. I mean, you're, you wrote the kind of novel that a lot of people are now just starting to r- write and read, um, which, which is interesting. Uh, but not just to keep heat, keep piling. Praise on you. Um, I, I, I could, I, I did think it would be interesting to talk a little bit, and we've already discussed a little bit about, um, you know, your sort of process uh, of trying to get Dirt Cult published because you didn't always plan on self-publishing it. Correct? Like you did actually send it out pretty widely. Yeah, I, I didn't want to. I there was still that stigma of vanity publishing.
3: You know, you you self-published because you you couldn't get published in a, you know, a, a legitimate publishing house or whatever, and so like that was still the stink was still on that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, good Lord, I, back in 2005, I guess, I, I, I had, uh, I bought a lap again, like this whole, that time period. uh, I, I remember not many guys having computers, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody having cell phones or whatever. And at 2004, I bought my first laptop and I'm, I'm at Walter Reed and I'm teaching myself, I'm teaching myself. I'm obsessed. And it's like, I've got to get this thing out of my head. And I wound up Without even really thinking about it, teaching myself how to type one handed <laughs> and I can, <laughs> I can type one handed now faster than I could with two back then, but it's, you know, you're, you're obsessed and you've got this thing in your head and you're like, I've got to get this out before while it's hot. Yeah. And, and I, I cranked out like a 400 page rough draft. Oh, wow. And there was a, there was a guy named McKay Jenkins who wrote a book on the 10th mountain. And he was doing a veterans authors program. He was a he was a contributor to it, and he was kind enough to to take a look at it and make some suggestions. Um, and he he recommended his agent, and his agent wound up passing on what I had. And I a couple of times approached him, and then he you know, just pretty much declined it altogether. And so I got the the literary marketplace book, and it, it was. For the kids that don't know, it's basically a web. It's a website database of all of the of all the literary agents and whatnot. But it's in a book form, which is you know, I, it's, I bought it's that a website a made out of trees, ago.
2: basically. Um, do what? I bought that a long time ago. Yeah, I, so I you know what I'm talking in about the, in the business of trying to get yeah. novels published. Yeah, you're. You're.
3: It, it's funny how antiquated this stuff is now, but I I, I remember getting that and just. Going down the list, of anybody who I thought would be interested in sending them a query, which in doing queries really helps with your writing, I think.
2: Oh, true. Yeah, it does. To some, and also to think about, like, well, what is my novel really about? Yeah. How do I condense it into a, a couple of paragraphs? Yeah. And like that's that's helpful. Uh, the responses from mainstream publishing are not helpful, but that, <laughs> that <is>. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
3: which which was again, it's educational, and I. I, I, I did with this thing where I would, I joked with my mom. It's the great American mail out where like every couple of months I would, I would send out good Lord, maybe a hundred, maybe 70 something to a hundred queries. And I would, you know, they most of the time you wouldn't hear anything, but sometimes I'd get a, a rejection or sometimes somebody would want to look at it and they'd, Oh, I need to pass. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm of the opinion. I've never worked in the publishing industry, but I've worked adjacent, shall we say to some industries where people get like submissions all the time. I am of the opinion. I don't know if this was, I think at some point there mut there, maybe even so with literature, I don't know, but like at some point people did just send stuff out and people picked it up. I don't think it. Ha- I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it happens z- like not at all anymore. Yeah. Like the, death I, of the slush pile. Yeah. Like hmm. people still, for whatever reason, different companies or organizations still have the slush pile. But I am um, of the opinion that the, that pretty without it there may be some exception out there but by and large um uh that, 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 that the, the the modus operandi at, at any company with a slush pile is like we we have that you know to to for, for the optic of it but like to, it's all rejections and now it's all about you know <laughs> it, 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 people are it's people with like so big social media followings are approached basically to write about what they want you to write about and uh, I think maybe it's a certain point that there was, that we did kind of have more of a culture where you could kind of get a foot in the door just by sending something out. But I think uh, for better yeah. or worse, for past that now, some of that might have to do with the fact that there is less of a stigma for self-publishing like, there's almost this reflexive understanding that people can just do that now. And that's, that's a worthwhile path. But I do think that I, I I'd have to like look at the data, whatever. I don't even think the data exists, but um. But basically that we, we've moved even more firmly away from, you know, submission culture where you could actually submit stuff uh, and, and toward you know, hopefully productively towards self-publishing, but. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. You ultimately published, was it Amazon? And it's obvious, obviously on Amazon now, is that where you originally yeah. self-published? Yeah. Um, and how did you, you ended up kind of, you know, so you did you took out some ads right uh, not not to go into the gory details of this i just think it's kind of interesting to chart that you know almost 10 year history of the book and how uh, and obviously it has a happy ending in that um i do think it's probably sold a lot better over the past couple of years if you can get to but yeah what were your yeah. kind of early attempts to to get the the word out there like I, initially i would i would approach bloggers and and or uh, good good tactic some, probably but yeah
3: yeah, well, you you, know, you you try to think, you know, as, as I th- I think you were saying, Dan, uh, you you've you know, with the, the submission process that, um, you, how it helps with queries. You kind of have to think, well, who who would care about this? You know, yeah. or why why should someone give a damn about this? And and who are those people? And what would they like about it? And and you try to like find where where, who are the sort of go- who are the sort of people who might be interested in this story? And you know, there were all these guys in the manosphere, like Forney, uh, who were writing, and he would do- he was doing reviews. Um, and I thought, well, maybe he'll take a look. Um, or uh, there were places like Talkies. Um, yeah. And uh, Anne Sturzinger, who she gave me a really good review. Yeah, that um, review is still up.
1: That's where I know some sort of the context. Yeah. Your, the she's, a cool, yeah we, she's a cool. She's a cool lady. Read
3: yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. And and she was one of these people who who was there at this sort of change, like you were talking about, Matt. Uh, who was who's seeing the publishing industry and and it's but there's also this rise of, of self-published authors and it's like, well, why aren't these people getting published? And she's, she was one of the people who were trying to, trying to figure that out. And this is back in 2014, I guess. And yeah. so, um, so I initially would, would try to chase down reviews. Um, I, and I would, I think I took out some ads maybe on Reddit and some other thing. I did a good, a, a giveaway on Goodreads. and mm-hmm. um, I was just trying to think of anything I could, uh, to try to get it out. Um, and it, I would also approach, um, you know, uh, some, some, some journal or some journal, you know, well, I'd approach journalists, but I would also, uh, some of these like news magazines that were, you know, they were starting, they were starting to transition to, to web-based formats. And I would, I would send inquiries to them and some, I, 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 won't say who it was, but it was, it was one of these, you know, these web magazines are saying like, they, well, we don't do book reviews, but thank you for thinking of us. And I was thinking like, you know, Huffington post at the time or, or Buzzfeed or whatever was going on at the time, they, they do book reviews and like <laughs> how that's a tremendous blind spot and i think that was completely indicative of kind of the sort of i guess a conservative establishment at the time yeah. it's like, well we don't want to engage in the culture we don't want to engage in we don't want to do movie reviews or book reviews outside of bitching about what leftists just did
1: yeah and they have no important. kind
3: of positive vision or trying to find out well who's advancing the sort of stories we want told because people were already out there doing it in in mainstream and publishing houses but you you won't hear about them um I mean, I think yeah. of uh, one of my favorite, uh, I, I I enjoy, I enjoy fantasy and sci-fi and I, I should probably like, you know, give some like high tone sort of like books that I like, but I I, I like that stuff.
1: Yeah. And
3: one of my favorites, uh, I, I remember coming across Larry Correa, who's like a self-proclaimed right-wing Mormon gun nut. He mm-hmm. was like an accountant who was working in a gun store and he, he was really into B movies and he wrote this basically an urban fantasy where you have like these private military contractors who collect bounty for killing monsters and one of them, the monster hunter International is headquartered out of Alabama. And this is like, and, it, and it's just, it's a fun story or uh, Jim butcher who uh, he he's, I think he's pitched his book at Hollywood as like a dirty Harry Potter. And this guy's mm. it's like Spencer <laughs> for hire as this private investigator, who's a wizard in Chicago. And he like gets in adventures and it's like, he's basically playing D and D with himself. but It's yeah. like, it's fun. And, 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 and that you have characters who are doing, you know, you cool stuff. And, and there's no, you know, nobody's, you know, Breitbart's not doing a review over Jim Butcher's new book. And when Butcher's, uh, he's a like, like an old fashioned libertarian from Missouri, yeah. you know, or, or, or Larry Correa, they're, they're not promoting his book. Um, and, and, and this is, you have people who will, you know, you know, the leftists will quote Harry Potter chapter and verse, <laughs> but you know, there, there are people who are already out there, um, but they don't want to talk about them and yeah. they, they've got to get over that.
1: Yeah, well, thankfully, I think um, that change has happened a bit, obviously, in this space, you know, this podcast, even like where that's, that's kind of part and parcel of this whole like dissident, right? Frog Twitter, whatever we call it, like corner of the internet. But honestly, even uh, I don't know what what Breitbart's doing, but like even I don't even like to praise this person much, but but even like uh, the Daily Caller, which again, I really hesitate to praise. I know we we're used to shitting on Ben Shapiro but he, you know even he has kind of I think you know he, he has a production company which I mean honestly I, I'm not about to go out there and watch those movies necessarily because I you know whatever but like I, I do think I only bring up as an example because even even the non-based corners of like conservatism I think are starting to realize that fighting on the playing field the battlefield of culture uh, is, is worthwhile and I think that there's been some successes and will be more. Yeah,
3: and, and, and I, I, I agree I think they' they everybody's kind of working it out right now um, and I, I think I think it's an interesting time
2: Well yeah. also no. that money is being left on the table that yeah. uh, people you know people want to see conservative movies people want to see uh, more traditional stories and uh, you know obviously Netflix isn't making them obviously the mainstream publishing industry where every uh literary fiction novel is about like a vietnamese immigrant they're they're not making it so like you know whether it comes from us and we suddenly start making money well uh you know that's great i'd love that or whether it comes from you know some hollywood exec waking up like uh not that Amanda Milius is not exact exactly. She started her own studio, but she's producing movies too. Ben Shapiro, say what you will about him, he is producing movies. I mean, someone's gonna you know, take home the prize. Ho- hopefully, many of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, you wrote about, uh, and we we did a podcast episode about, and and, and you wrote about Top Gun: Maverick uh, for I am seventeen seventy six. I don't. I think it could be overstated the extent to which that movie is conservative or right-wing or traditionalist but uh obviously it was by far the most basically the most popular and, and best-selling movie in years maybe maybe one of the most you know best-selling movies of all time um and i did enjoy we did enjoy your the piece you wrote for for Am 1776 on that i don't know if you heard our episode on top gun no, no yeah. need Oh you did. Oh okay. you did. You yeah. Listened. yeah. Oh yeah. great. Yeah. Um,
2: that's that was one of our favorites. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. And I was really struck while reading your article like I I feel like we we independently kind of hit a lot of a lot of the same points. I mean and my that's my general take on Top Gun. It's like I don't want to overpraise it, but I I do yeah. think there's some key stuff in there that's really good.
3: Yeah, it it's it- I I wasn't even really into the first Top Gun whenever I was a kid. I uh, I remember my dad would my dad's really big about sneaking into movies. He uh, we would <laughs> we would almost dread going to the movies with him, because mm. um, it's like like this is going to the movies with dad would be like an all day thing. Um, and and <laughs> nobody's yeah. he's just you a know, blue collar dude who's like you're some 18 year old person who's an usher or whatever. You ain't gonna call him out. <laughs> but I we went to he took me to see Transformers the movie. And, and I was blown away by that. Like my my hero, Optimus Prime, had just died, and I'm going to get snuck into Top Gun. Like I like, yeah. like I'm I'm not in the headspace for that. And um, but it was always in the background. And there was you know that that feel back then where something like that could be made and it was cool. Yeah, sort of like um or uh talking with Granza about uh, Point Break. Like I love Point Break. That that's such a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Or uh and you know it's about and, and it's got that feel of what I assume like that you always see with, with movies in LA around that time. And, and it was, it's also, uh, I think Die Hard has a bit of that. Right. Oh, for sure. And so there's, there was just, it was just cool. And this was just normal stuff that was taken for granted and you could go see it in a movie and like that disappeared at some point. Um, And so to see something like this again, and it's, as you say, like it, it, it's, it's not really great. I, I, at least I wouldn't consider it great. But it's good and it's yeah. it's fun and it's just like it's something that you know, used to be normal, and it's like seeing that after all these years, like whoa,
1: <laughs> like huh? I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know they still did that. Definitely, How I think that, that was the the sentiment. That's one of the the word of mouth surrounding it and, and why it sold so well is because like it really delivered on that. Like it would have sold well regardless because it's Tom Cruise, but people realized that like this was a sort of a throwback in a, in a really positive way. And of course there's, you know, there's, there's enough solid lines within the first five minutes to warrant the whole thing with the whole, uh, you know, your kind is going extinct. Yeah. Moment. Um, but one thing I did want to specifically highlight, I think that I I didn't remember that I'd done this until I was reading your top down article, like th- this week in prep for this episode, but uh, I actually do think I referenced you on our top Gun episode, <laughs> yeah. uh, with regard. And, and I was really pleased to see that you'd made the same point, about the John Hamm character in Top Gun Maverick and how that kind of represented. I don't even think you necessarily say this per se in Dirt Colt, but you said it about Dirt Colt on, on Babs' podcast. I'm sure you've said it elsewhere that the the sort of upper, once you rise to a certain rank within the military, you seem to get some kind of globo homo lobotomy. Yeah, <laughs> <If you laughs> yeah absolutely. That. Yeah um in the context of top gun maverick obviously he it's more just that john ham's this guy with a stick up his ass he's more by the book and, and and maverick's more instinctual but like i guess that isn't necessarily unrelated to some of the political global homo stuff either is it
3: yeah but uh, there was a kind of touch this reminds me of something we, we got into a little bit earlier about that this is i suppose it's always been kind of a trope of military stuff going all the way back to you know, early back to the phalanx you know there's always this you know th- this need to try to break things down into systems and processes because this is discipline you know some mm-hmm. things work some things don't and you train accordingly but i think um the kind of that that john ham character and how like that that archetype really seems to come into play or i, I guess really kind of comes into its own in like post-world war ii mm-hmm. literature at least I, I think of things like like from here to eternity or uh, i mentioned uh, once an eagle uh, Once an Eagle is a book by Anton Meyer. That's that's like it's all, It's one of these like Marine Corps Commandant reading list type books. I remember uh LT was reading it in Afghanistan. And I wound up reading it while I'm you know writing uh, Dirt Cult because I'm I'm, 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 I'm I'm at this point uh, you know people always ask you know, how how you should write and one of my my favorite fantasy authors Robert Jordan who I've, I've got problems with that with with what happened to his stuff but that's neither here nor there. But one of the things he would tell people is you need to read. And I, I think so. I was just obsessed reading as much stuff as I could, and and I I tried to get into that that genre of post war novels. And and there's well, I guess Catch Twenty Two is probably probably the best example of that. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah like with um with Once an Eagle, uh, the protagonist he's he's a young man in World War One, out of Nebraska, and he enlists and he he rises through the ranks and by the end of it is an officer and then he serves in World War II. and it follows all the way up to the beginnings of the Vietnam War. And he's front and center for this kind of change that happened as the old yeah. army style, you know, the sort of Teddy Roosevelt types of stuff, uh, how that yeah. changed into this sort of managerial global homo thing where they're they're at one point, I think out west, it might have been California. And they're talking about how there's basically going to be a second world war and they kind of take it for granted that this is going to happen. Like there's just this sense that and, and one of the, the foils in the character, I think his name's Courtney Massengill, which is a really unfortunate name for a man. but he's he's the managerial guy he's he's the guy who rises through the ranks because he's good at you know kissing ass or policy procedure and all that sort of stuff that really flourishes uh in 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 like you know the sort of industrial or you know high-tech bureaucracy that that's the military and so uh kind of bring that back uh or one more example, I guess, is uh, you know, from here to eternity. Yeah, you know, everybody re- thinks about that scene where Bert Lancaster is making out with that chick in the beach. But <laughs> you read the book; it's you know, here's this NCO, and he's a hard ass, he's a tough guy, but he also knows how to work the machine. And it's it's it, and this is like World War. This is right at the beginning of World War Two, and so it's it's apparent there's this bureaucratization that's already happened, and it's about you know, paperwork and this and that, and um, and and it's. It's just the sense that you're on this runaway machine. And, and I think the, the, John Hamm character, like he's, he's a perfect archetype of that, of that mindset that, that is in the military.
1: No, Sorry no, about no. that. I, no, kind of no, weird. absolutely appreciate all the references. I mean, one of the more generic questions we had on our list was like, what are some of your literary influences? So I'm glad to, to kind of hear about, about some of those. Uh, but no, no, definitely it is kind of an archetype. But mine, you know, based on your novel and other things, I've heard it's it's an archetype that it, you know, it's it's a good, it's a worthwhile archetype of, you know, the the military bureaucrat with the stick up up his ass because it's true and it really does chart a Uh, You know, a change that has occurred in the military um, and and that continues, you know, toward this managerialism. Um, Another, uh, you know, somewhat related to that, uh, perhaps change within military and American life that Dan and I were talking about in prep for this episode was. uh, And I think it's something that your novel speaks to a bit and, and your other work as well is the kind of changing perception and role of the veteran in, in American culture and society, uh, Benjamin Braddock, in his review of Dirk Holt made a, a really interesting point about how, you know, kind of back in the day, uh, and obviously one reason for this was that, you know, the, the military is now a little more volunteer based than it was during, you know, World War Two and Vietnam era, uh, Vietnam War era. With the draft but but that you know it was it was a much more normalized thing like clint eastwood was in the military and then had an entertainment career um i'm trying to think It was clark gable maybe it was one uh elvis obviously you know there's all these examples like it was a much more sort of normal normalized thing where you know you know a lot of american men you know w- were in the service like that was just this normal thing and, jimmy and stewart famously. jimmy stewart you know so many actors so many musicians uh, and they were integrated into American life in a way, in a very depressing way that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Now there's this, it, 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 our society is weird in how we treat veterans to say say the least. There's this sense that like, it, there's almost a poverty to, to that role. Like there's this understanding that, oh, he probably joined in either A, because he he needed the money or or did, he was just weird and he wanted to go overseas. Um, uh, it just, I mean, have you kind of, does that resonate like that, that, that the changing perception, you know, obviously, there's always going to be some sort of more, you know, Republican types who, who, who will praise veterans, but it's just this sad thing that's part and parcel of a more general, auto, you know, um, atomization where, you know, it's, there's not really a role for veterans within culture and society, which is a really shameful thing.
3: I I, th- I think uh, I think that's absolutely the case, and I, I don't know how much of that's Vietnam and how much isn't, but I think it plays a role. Um, and there's a or how much of that's even I don't know, at the risk of sounding like a Marxist, I think there's an issue of class to this. Oh, which, of, uh, of
1: course sir. No, I agree. It's
3: not. Which I, thing, yeah, th- which I I'm going to get on that in a second, but um, yeah. I, just to kind of tell a, a story. Um, when I enlisted again, it was this was 2000. 9/11 hadn't happened. to kind of. Give us this, you know, boost of patriotism again and everything. There was the last big one we'd seen was, you know, maybe Vietnam. You know, there'd been Somalia and some other things like that. And it was just really kind of nebulous. And and you couldn't, you didn't really know what these things are over. Um, and I remember uh, I was going to tell my mom that I, I was going to enlist and she winds up hitting me with a pillow <laughs> <And> <laughs> she's she's you know she's laid up because she just had a car accident and so i go back into the room my mom and dad's room and i'm like mom i need to talk to you and she's like you know she's you know she's a mom and she just got confronted with you know her son about to t- drop something on her and she's like what the hell is this um and and that's why i said I'm, I'm i'm gonna enlist and then she hits me <laughs> and, and, like she's like reached grabs a pillow and she hits me with it and like i she's I don't think that woman has hit me since like maybe spanking me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. She, she gets mad. She's like, I would have rather you have got some girl pregnant.
0: She's, <laughs> she's
3: thinking I was going to tell her like, I got some girl pregnant. And so she, she's, she's, she finds out, yeah, I'm going to go enlist. And, and another guy I i, I up talking with at a, at a, a friend's wedding, it said like, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> and, and, and uh, look, one of my army buddies who's from New York, uh, he was, he's, he's very much a man of the left and, and we, we didn't really get along on terms of politics, but he was a good friend and he was a comedian. And so he's coming out of like New York comedian kind of background. And he was, he was saying one time that, uh, you know, whenever he enlisted, uh, he he went in thinking like, you know, like a lot of people around him thought that, that you know, the military, you know, it's this thing that we need, but it's filled with a lot of people that you really don't want to know and mm-hmm. um, and and whenever he enlisted though he realized it's filled with all these really cool people or you know good dudes uh you know who are very wor- very much worth knowing um, yeah and he wouldn't have known that he wouldn't have seen that otherwise um and just i i think for the sort of the, the taste makers of, of this sort of this thing that we live in now i think they kind of have that attitude you know the, you know we'll, we'll need these guys to go like fight and kill and die because of you know the stuff we want to do but we really don't want to know them
1: um, yeah no, it's, it's incredibly sad and shameful, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, and it kind of, uh, I think one of the central hypocrisies or just, frankly, as I said, you know, disgusting things that you sort of call out in dirt cult but then maybe even more so in some of your more recent you know writing for I am 1776 and such like your, your ukraine article uh is this you know the 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 total the, the way that and it's basically red state flyover country men less credentialed especially are, are treated as totally disposable which is bad in its own right um but then you in the same breath that they're treated as disposable you know they're also scapegoated for all of society's ills and I don't think we're overstating this at all. I mean I think that is the dynamic in the way that a certain elite talks about you know about about veterans, about men from certain areas of the country and it's 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 remarkable uh, that it you know how, how unaware a lot of these people are that is what they're doing. Yeah, it's you know, I guess it's it's the
3: sort of myopia of, of these people who you if, if you're if you're if you're if you're intelligent, you know, they, they tell you you need to go off to school and you need to go get these degrees and then you go work in, you know, in an office or whatever. And a lot of these people are really insulated um, and because that's all they've known. I mean, I've, I've worked with a, at one point while I was working um, for the I, w- I worked with the VA and, and you would you'd work with some of these people who all they've done is you know, be a doctor. Or whatever, um, and and or you deal these people who just understand administration, and, and they they've they've not really done these sort of they, they they've not served in a line unit for a couple yeah. of years, um, and and they just sort of you know, like with it with the academics and stuff they they just sort of take it for granted that their their class is right. That people like them are right and, and should have more say and that's always going to be the answer to these problems um you know like like the good old boys touch on you know politics is patronage mm-hmm. um and this this yeah. you know this managerial class they just sort of assume they're good but the trouble is they don't ever really get their ass on the grass um yeah or or even want to accept that that maybe we have things worth saying um or, or that are we have opinions that that might be a lot more val- valid than they want to give credit because that means that's an indictment on their worldview. It means their worldview is wrong. Yeah. And, and I don't think they can accept that yet, but they're, they're going to have to.
1: I think so too. I yeah. think, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not always completely optimistic about the future of, of politics and American politics, but I do think, you know, people who are simply wrong and out of touch with reality, eventually they're going to bonk their head on it. I mean, I think it's already happened to an extent and I think it will happen, uh, happen more so. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's encouraging, and as bad as this
3: Ukraine business is, um, and I uh, again, this is I, I I I would I would like to see them do more to try to de-escalate. Although I know it's kind of they they they're not there yet. They they're not yeah. ready to learn the lesson. Um, but in the meantime, everything just seems like it's holding its breath. Um, but yeah. they they can't do like they used to. Um, you know, like like with nine eleven, there was still that that sort of. You know, this is our country and, and we need to defend it. That horse is out of the barn.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, there,
3: there's 20 years of of, of guys like me or, or, or of of guys like you who, who saw this stuff. Uh, and and, it, and we all know we're being betrayed and we're being lied to by this machine. And it, like the people on the other side of our oaths don't believe in countries.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. There's a oh, that's... real disjunction, I yeah. think, uh, in this age. Due to ideology, due to many things. But I think you see a real disjunction due to the fact that we are now a and have been for decades a volunteer army. Whereas in the past, even in Vietnam, we were a draft army. And so you had men from all different walks of life participating in the fighting and uh, that, I think, led to, uh, you know, also it was a time in our country where, you know, though changes were happening, they were not happening at the pace and with the uh, level of detrimental effect that they're currently happening. And so you had, uh, you know, a, a more cohesive uh, group of men, a more cohesive fighting force. But today you have with, you know, an all-volunteer army, which, you know, many are led to volunteer because of economic reasons. And you have a class of uh, bureaucrats on top of them, just a a clear um, cultural divide between the the men and the administrators, the men in the brass, and also a, um, you know, a misalignment of, um, you know, interests, (laughs) fundamental interests. Their their interests are for you to, you know, uh, you know, maybe uh, not uh, turn out very well. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's this, is, you know, this issue of the recruiting crisis that's been going around and like this is, this, this makes it to where they, they can't promote global homo like they would like to, which is great. <laughs> it's an impediment. Uh, you know, they, they would like to roll over Ukraine. They would like to do all this other stuff, but they're, they know that they, they can't get the draw that they used to.
1: And that's Absolutely. to say nothing of
3: the fact that like, good Lord, how, how big is the debt at this point? Like, does anybody even really care? Like we're not paying that off. That's their problem. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it's just like this, this, this is this, this zombie thing that's on autopilot um and and why why would you like if you're again if you're serving it and, I, and i've got dudes i know dudes who are in and, and i and i i they're you know they're in for their reasons um mm-hmm. but they also understand that that you know this thing it doesn't love you and as one dude i heard said you know loving a country that hates you isn't patriotism it's servitude
1: mm, and, and yeah. i think
3: that's true um and i think there's there, you know, there, there's a lot of people who who and I think this is a thing that conservatives or whatever that means anymore um, are, 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 are having to come to grips with is that they, 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 they want to love a country and they, they want to like belong and, and they don't want trouble. They just want to grill man. um, but they can't, because nobody's going to leave you alone. And yeah. they, they do want to do it, It's, it's having you serve things that are completely opposed to your interests. Um, And it's like, they're going to have to deal with that. and, and, and it's going to mean that they're, the world's not going to play, go according to how they plan it. And as they learn that lesson, I think things are going to get real squirrely as we're seeing. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's going to happen. Like, like it's not like the, the, that utopia ain't going to happen. So you're going to have to like make do with us, whether you like it or not. Because and hopefully a span. it's peaceful. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say, say hopefully it's
2: peaceful. Uh, uh, yeah 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 no i was gonna say there's this fantasy that we could go back to an earlier era an earlier time where uh the kind of vision of the the you know regime or whatever was not as misaligned with the visions of like you know the, the morals and the values of the you know people like right. us yeah, yeah I think but so. you you can't really rewind that no, it, no it's like so. it's out there And like, even if like you you win the next election, even if there's Trump in 2024, uh, it's not going to change the universities, it's not going to change the New York Times, it's not going to change the major corporations. In fact, they'll go even crazier. Yeah, yeah, they'll go even (laughs) crazier. And so, yeah, there's no rewind button here. There's no recapture strategy, really. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to come to terms with, I think.
3: Well, and it's again, kind of going back to our earlier point of, of these circles, this is men, men yeah. who are having to like, you know, we're sort of the ones who get it first that like this order ain't your buddy. And so, yeah. and, and, and we ain't going back to the way things work. So we're going to have to try to figure out a way to make do. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and that's, I know, again, that's, it's scary too. Cause it's this, this, this is, this is some pretty dystopian stuff that, that I, that, that that's happened i mean good lord somebody had posted on car culture and how the cash for clunkers you know completely eviscerated it and now we've got the uh was what's his name jack off plane i want to make sure i give credit oh the JJ JJ, the yeah jack off. jj the jack off plane <laughs> <laughs> but he he talked about how you know the, you have the clash for clunk, you know swig of beer for for jj the jack off plane <laughs> so he's a good dude um yeah. but the you, you you now have these vehicles like the tire that damn tire pressure monitoring system or, or my, my truck, my, th- that I have now, the, the dashboard, whatever went up to where I just wanted to play my music. I want to be able to plug in my auxiliary cable and have it play my music. And won't even do that. Right. And it's like yes. almost $2,000. And I, I'm going to like a six month waiting list for the thing. And it's like all this shit on my truck. I did not want. Yeah. And, and it's like, that's just the vehicle. And it's like, what are you going to do if you're 16 years old in high school? Like, how are you supposed to like, get the bread together for a vehicle and oh and it's, gee yeah. yeah and it's how that's just that? one thing and and we've got all like all this stuff and you're like god how in the world are you supposed to make it tomorrow out of this because uh, there was a again sort of cribbing from people on on twitter it was a, a Linkola something or other had said like
2: oh a uh, penty linkola.
3: yeah it, penty i think they I was like, were like quoting the mean people and, and again like <laughs> this is the importance of art like memes yeah. are art like uh-huh. like this is you're, these are ideas that are given breath in in images or words or whatever. Like this is magic. Absolutely, this is alchemy. And um, and and anyways, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna, work, I'm gonna get lost in my own anecdote. No, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> me magic as they Yeah, say. It is, yeah. yeah he said uh, one of the things that that made America great was there was always a frontier that you could go off into to escape America, and, and I think there's that was part of what made it cool was that you could go off into a frontier. You know, if you, you go, you, you maybe you could, you know, have a nice life in the city or whatever. But if you got a gut full of that, you could go out west. And yeah. or, you know, like my people come out of the Civil War. Um, and a lot of it, that's what they did. They like, you know what? <laughs> We've lost everything. So, you know, like, Mama, I'm going to I'll send for you when I get the cabin built. And They go off and, you know, go west. And yeah. um, the trouble is, is you know, was it the, the 18 whatever 1880 something census? Like the frontier's closed now
2: of the it's american a, frontier
3: yeah. yeah we you, got, you know we are to you know to quote jack donovan no homo but uh <laughs> which again uh, he's another one of these guys who who helped you know yeah. you know homo right. stuff yeah, notwithstanding good. like he, yeah. he, yeah. he yeah, lays so the trail um yeah uh, he's one of these authors but um the, you're kind of having to become the barbarians
1: right
2: yeah um, absolutely so. and uh owning space yeah,
1: yeah. no that's that's what it's a beer for bap (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely Absolutely. well i feel like we're we're getting close to winding down here but before we do so um wanted to ask if you have and you know dirt cult is a very singular and very personal work so i mean i don't know answer this however you will but do you do you see yourself writing more books in the future are you working on anything now I'm actually working on a screenplay adaptation of it. Oh my god! Awesome! Oh, great! There's, yeah. There's
3: some I, which has been kind of an interesting experience. There's a, a dude actually who I, I did sort of the similar thing I did with the book, and I would send it out to people I, I, you know, in the slush pile or whatever, you know, that for producers or directors or you know, actors or whatever. And sometimes people would respond. One dude, I, re, I, I may tell y'all off, off, you know, off, of, yeah, uh, no. out, well, off of the show, but um, there was a dude who actually wrote me back. And I'm like, I like like I I quote this guy's movie, like we we quoted this dude's movie and he's writing me back and I was like, like yeah, I really liked your book. And I'm like, well, could you give me some advice on writing a screenplay? And and he gave me some really good advice, I thought, which was which was which was interesting. But uh but he was saying that he's over the hill and blacklisted. <laughs> so oh. like, like, huh? Like, would you like to tell me more about that, please? Oh. Um, but so uh, I I've since I've I've got a screenplay and I I've been, you know, I'm I'm working on you know revising it. And there's uh, some you know, some people have expressed an interest. Uh, no, no checks have been cut. No, you don't have paperwork. But right now we're just we're playing around with the screenplay, seeing what we. Great. Can do. Well, I hope. Yeah, and maybe, maybe a, a about certain
2: daughter of a a big. <laughs> <director>. <laughs> no, 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 no.
3: No, no, no. But, uh, no. Uh, no Princess maybe... Milius is, is, is <laughs> like yeah, it's uh, she's she's got her own things going. I I've not I've not ever spoken with her, but but uh, which I, I hope good things from her.
1: Um, yeah. She's she's hysterical. She cracks me up. Yeah, she's oh, great. Yeah. We hope to have but, her on this pod at some point. But no, um, yeah. interesting here on the screenplay. Well, we should talk more about it maybe offline uh, if there's names involved. I, I do hope you know. I think there's there. I do think there's some people like who could potentially make it or, or like at least help get the screenplay in like tip top shape. And like I think there there is you know i've actually talked to people uh, you know i'm not that well connected but like when, whenever people have asked me like what 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 like frog twitter stuff you think would make good movie content i, I have cited your book uh oh, i I, I really th- like i think it would lend itself so so um so well and so clearly and i think it also and this also stands for the book in book form i think it has more crossover appeal i mean it's not bronze age mindset where it's like you know very online well i wouldn't i don't know if i would say that Bronze Age mindset's very online. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just it's it's very much for a specific audience. Whereas your book, I mean, I think even like normies uh, c- could sort of read it and uh, and really get what you're saying without having to have any you know particular political proclivity. So I think absolutely it's good good material for you know tv film well probably film but uh and uh, i'm really glad to hear you know that that you are working on that I, i wrote a screenplay of my novel too i think it's a it's an interesting step to take and it's an interesting writing exercise you know you kind of um you know you have to kind of boil down to the most essential elements but i think it can be really fun as well so uh you know best of luck with that i will i will probably ask you about it uh, offline curious oh well, good luck yeah. with yours
3: too I, 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 thanks. is it is this your first screenplay
1: uh no Um you worked um, with I, those before yeah i I've, I've written screenplays before i've never gotten anything made though so <laughs> you know still it's, it's yeah. as you say it's an interesting it's an interesting
3: medium uh, one of the things that the guy who i i spoke with it said you know it's you you're ultimately telling a story in pictures and he yeah, said, yeah. if you have to use words. And so in, in writing it in, in trying to write it that way, um, I, I, I thought it'd be, I, 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 imagine if, and again, this is a huge if, cause you know, I, I don't know if it'll ever get made, but, um, I, I think it'd be a fun kind of period piece for a lot of zoomers and stuff coming up. Cause I think there's yeah. enough oh, absolutely. that they, could, they yeah. could see familiar, but it's, you know, no, you know, at that bar, nobody's really looking at their phone. You know, yeah, yeah. like,
1: or we're using payphones or whatever. And they'd be like, like this dude's using a phone book, you know, LOL. hundred um, percent. But another thing I would say is that um, in my you know, it's not, not, you know, my somewhat limited knowledge of this, like you mentioned in, in, in the, I think the Sturzinger piece and your, your kind of process of trying to get Dirt Cult published, there was this notion like, oh, the publishing industry doesn't want more war memoirs. I think that's the opposite in when it comes to like independent film, um, th- there's this understanding that like there's a whole swath of Americans who will watch anything that looks like a war movie. Yeah. So I think that could actually help that project out. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's a tough needle to thread, especially nowadays. You know, like I I mentioned with the the
3: Top Gun thing, um, that's it's it's almost like from an alternate universe where yeah. where all this other stuff hadn't happened. Um, whereas in reality that stuff did happen. Um, how do you do a war movie when the the machine that, or how do you how do you do a war movie when patriotism itself is it's kind of
1: yeah it's a gamble not worth taking
3: almost right um, or well least... of course
1: yeah I mean your your war movie would be a quite subversive one but nevertheless that's yeah. what would probably be what people would think it would be when they're clicking on like a streaming website or whatever the case might be yeah. could, you know they can deliver the message all the more powerfully.
3: Yeah. I mean, having a, and I would, I would stand on having the scene of just the, the imagining the military to say, you know, fuck your orders. Like I, that's going to yeah. go over like a, like a fart in church, but um, <laughs> but I, I would like to see that. I like, you know, the, the this sort of subversiveness doesn't, which I, I'm not a transgressive guy by my nature and yeah. I don't like subversiveness because like, like in a different world, like a, a guy like me would just be like grilling with, you know, a wife and like a half dozen kids somewhere mm-hmm. and like, you know what? Since I didn't prove the lover, I shall prove the villain. You know, yeah, and, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And so, like, you know what? I'm not going to this stooging for something that is completely against me. Like, that's the wrong answer, yeah. and, and I, I don't want to take it, um, and I don't want to hurt anybody either. And I think there's a lot of people who feel like that, um, and so I, I would, I would think there's a place for that, or at least it's something. It's a conversation worth having. To borrow their I think language, so too. definitely. Yeah.
2: I think coming right on the heels of Top Gun. Like, that was proof in the pudding that there is a huge appetite for this. And, um, you know, furthermore, the success of, uh, of Dirt Cult, like, that gives you a track record where okay, I think the mainstream publishing industry is like exceedingly woke to the point where like there's a clear divide between what we're doing and what they're doing, yeah. but I think you do have some kind of more outsider independent filmmakers there. So like we mentioned, uh, Millias, but there's others too. There's Craig uh, Zoller, yeah, Craig Zoller. <laughs> yeah, there's um yeah, you know who knows maybe uh. Alex Lee Moyer wants to make a war movie. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe. I, well it's oh, just there's a there's a vibe shift,
2: you yeah, know, as right. y'all yeah. as y'all
3: as y'all have talked about. Um and this this is conflict and, and that, that expresses itself in in war. And and you know, what, what does that even look like nowadays? Like what does that even mean? Um and that's that's real dicey stuff. Um, but I think that's also there's also potential for magic in that. Um mm in, in, in using these stories to try to like plot out kind of where we're at and where we want to go.
2: Sam, I think if you want to sell this screenplay and get it produced, your next podcast hop is Red Scare. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. That'd be an interesting get,
2: one. Get on yeah. there with the girls and uh, your troubles. Will be over. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Or <laughs> they may just be beginning. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right, right, right. right well, thank you. I- i think that's about a wrap unless you have anything else uh, you want to add or plug uh, or dan if you have any other questions
2: i uh, know i think we're we covered a lot of great material here so i'm I good know, to this go this is a good but, one
3: well i i again i really appreciate y'all taking the time um, and i appreciate y'all's work and um, as we Thanks. were talking well, to you. For, yeah. before y'all started recording and um, this this stuff matters i mean not necessarily my book but like you know that 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 books matter and, and stories mm-hmm. matter and images matter like like the culture and the arts like this is this is this is this this womb of what tomorrow's if where is going to come from um and, and this it'll happen here first um and, thank you and i think uh the, the the fact that y'all are exploring that i i think i think that's important and i think it matters and so i i appreciate y'all's work and i look forward to seeing you know what, what y'all do with this thing um and and, and what sort of stuff you know y'all uncovered to share with us really i I think for taking the time to invite me to come sit in with y'all
1: absolutely no i mean you again uh we've praised you a lot on this episode we'll do it one more time i mean we talk about like some of the you know the, the 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 telltale the uh the you know the most important like red pill novels and your your book is definitely up there you know mixing you know war memoir with uh you know, just a story of day to day life and just that gonzo almost perspective uh, of where we are. Um, I mean, it's par excellence the kind of novel that we, we look to cover here. So thank you for coming on. Um, thank you much for much. coming on,
2: Sam. Well, thank really
1: you all. I it. to stop.